Good morning, good morning, good morning. How y'all doing? Good, y'all awake? The, the 9 a.m. service was talking trash about you guys. They were saying that you were the lazy service, you guys come in late, but I've heard rumor that this is the rowdy service. So I don't know if that's true. Is this the rowdy service? You guys ready? To, there we go. I, I, I know this section in particular over here, they get after it. Is this the youth section? I like it. I, I know who, wherever I'm, I'm not feeling, I'm, I know I'm going to come over here for some encouragement. Uh, well, y'all, my name is Bronson Duke. Uh, I am one of the, the campus pastors at our downtown Little Rock location. Uh, me and my wife, Callie. I've got my wife, Callie, with me, my much better half. She is beautiful. I've got proof. Okay, that is my wife and my firstborn son, Oliver. He's hyper, hypoallergenic, all right? Uh, no, he's not. I don't even know if that's true. I don't know what that is. But uh, that, that is our fur baby. He, he is the heir uh, to everything we have. Uh, hopefully, God will bless us with children, so that will not be so. Can I get an amen from somebody? Uh, but yeah, that, that's my family, y'all. And we get the honor and the blessing of pastoring down in Little Rock, Arkansas, along with Fitz Hill and a team of people. And we just launched in March. And so pray for us, okay? Pray for us. We, we are learning. Uh, we're right in the heart of the city, right on Main Street. So if you ever find yourself in downtown Little Rock on a weekend, you got a home, okay? Uh, New Life Church is, is, one, or, sorry, is, is one church with many rooms, right? So one church with many rooms. So I'm at home today, all right? So I'm going to bring it. I'm going I'm to act like I'm at home. Is that okay? All right, so I'm going to act like I'm at home. At downtown Little Rock, we get after it, okay? Uh, we get after it a little bit. So if you hear something you like, you can say amen, okay? So let me hear your best amen. 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 Okay, okay, I like that. Oh, we're, we're in this already. Okay. Uh, do you all love the Word of God? Come on, do you all love the Word of God? Did anybody bring a Bible with them today? Let me see your Bible. If you brought a paper Bible, let me see it. Wave it at me. I like that. They're not extinct yet. Now, if you brought an electronic Bible, go ahead and shine that at me. Let me see it. Shine it at me. Uh, y'all, I, I'm going to be in the ESV today. Uh, that's the extra spiritual version. Uh, for those of you who don't know, hey, if you don't own a Bible, if you're new to our community, uh, there's something called the Welcome Center. And at the Welcome Center, there's a lost and found. You can just go take one. Just go steal one. Okay, God will forgive you. He wants you to get in the Word. Uh, but for real, if you don't want to steal, you can always download the Version app. That is an incredible resource. Uh, but I want to tell you this. If you are new and you're visiting today, this is an incredible church. This is a Jesus-loving community. Can I get an amen? Um, you know, before we go too far into this, I want to give honor where honor is due, and that's to Jesus. We believe that he's the true king of this world. We believe that he's the one who deserves all honor, all glory, and all praise. So if you love Jesus in the house this morning, come on, put together one more hand clap of praise. Come on, if you're thankful for what God has done in your life, come on. Let me hear it. The Razorbacks won yesterday, so give me a little bit of that energy that you've got. I love it. With that said, go dogs. Um, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. All right, so I'm a dogs fan. If if you're looking for a team uh, to abscond to, or if you're if you're just you don't have an allegiance, we'll take you. Uh, this is a good bandwagon to jump on. I know Chad Morris has good things going though for Arkansas, but Kirby Smart's already got the machine going in in Athens. Can I get an amen? Uh, are there any Georgia fans in the house? What's up? Go dogs! I like it. That's amazing. We're, just, we're, start, we're going to start a Georgia Bulldogs revival right here this morning. God's doing something in Cersei. Uh, but y'all, for real, I, I do want to honor y- your pastors. That's, that's Pastor Robbie and Kevin. Kevin, 
and Robbie, God, they are incredible. Uh, Kevin is one of the most detail-oriented guys I've ever met. Okay, in his office, every pencil is sharpened the exact same way. There's 20 of them. That guy went in there, and he sharpened, got the next one. And it's, they're all in their section, and they're right next to him. He's got like 20 pens. He's the most utilitarian guy I've ever seen in my life. I've gotten to know him here recently. And so I knew he was detail-oriented. I didn't know the level until I got to see his office. And then we know Robbie. Robbie is amazing. She's full of grace and humor. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, she's awesome. Uh, I think she's, you know, don't tell, don't tell Kevin. He's amazing. He brings the word. I think she's the funny one in the relationship, though. All right, uh, Robbie's incredible. My, my wife and I have gotten to know them, know them over uh, the past couple of years as they've been a part of our community. And so, um, y'all, today we're going to be in a section of the Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse, let's go to verse 18. And let's do this if we can. Let's stand to our feet. Let's honor the Word of God with our posture. Let's honor the Word of God with our posture. That's Matthew. This is the Presbyterian coming out in me, okay? I was raised Presbyterian. I'm going to tell you guys some more of my story later, but let's jump in. I'm in Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, and we're going to read all the way to 30. Y'all got a good attention span? All right, read along with me. It's going to be up on the screens. Students, you can do this. I know you got believe in you, all right? Uh, Matthew 11, verse 18, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, for they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ash. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? It says you will be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain to this day. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now that you're encouraged, amen, you guys can get out of here. You can get, I'm just kidding, let's keep going. Uh, It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Y'all, who is thankful that God goes to the humble and reveals things, right? He doesn't just go to the educated, he goes to the humble. I'm thankful for that. He says, yes, Father, For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I love this part. It says, Come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. For you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's trustworthy. God, we thank you that it's not just some ancient, dusty book, but it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we pray that today you would speak to us. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to change. God, that you would speak right into our lives. God, we trust you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in our hearts. 
thank you just like we were singing songs of worship, God, you, you were there with us. God, we thank you that your word promises that when we sing praise, you inhabit our praise. So God, we thank you that you're with us. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. And it's in his precious name we pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, all right, turn to your neighbor and say, you are lucky to be sitting with me and take a seat real quick. Take a seat real quick and we're going to jump into it. Lucky. I hear these guys over here. They're awesome. Y'all, like I said, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. Have y'all seen uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Y'all heard of that? It's actually an autobiography about my life. Uh, they, they chose Will Smith for uh, the story. We look a little bit different, all right, but the story is the same. You know, I'm from Augusta, Georgia, and I got in a little bit of trouble, and my mom got sc- scared, and she sent me to live with my auntie and uncle in Columbus, Ohio, all right? Not quite Bel Air, but Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they put me in a Christian school, which I'm telling you, coming from my background, was weird, okay? It was weird. Uh, I, I went to a public school, and my family was a little bit dysfunctional, and uh, I started drinking at the age of 12. By 13, I'd started experimenting with drugs, marijuana, and by 14, I'd started taking painkillers, and I developed a full-on painkiller addiction in that three years from 14 to 17. It was right in the middle of, if you followed kind of what's happened in our pharmaceutical culture uh, around that time, uh, doctors started really liberally prescribing pain meds, and they were, they were all over the place. There's actually an amazing book called Dreamland about this epidemic, and it is an epidemic. Uh, I want you guys to recognize that. Uh, heroin deaths are, are through the roof right now. I know that's a little bit somber, but that's something we got to be aware of as God's people and be praying for. Uh, the enemy has come against us, and that is one of the ways that he's done it. And so for me, I was on the road to being a statistic. I came from a broken home, and uh, I had developed this addiction. And so I got sent to live up there. And I remember the first Christian party that I went to. Uh, it was a little weird and different for me. I came in and they had something called gala. They didn't have prom. Maybe some of you guys can relate to this because they couldn't dance. All right. And so uh, I, I went to the gala after party and I'm thinking, okay, after party, like I know how to do this. Right. And uh, they, they, they were doing karaoke, but they were all sober. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was literally running around the house, ripping doors open, trying to figure out where they were doing drugs, where they were doing uh, the wrong stuff. But to my surprise, they were not. And I was like, okay, I got to learn about this. And during that process, I met Jesus and uh, started to transform my life, transform the way that I looked at the world and, and what I was here for. Um, and, and through that process, by God's grace, I'm kind of where I'm at today, and, and God has worked on me. Uh, but I made some mistakes along the way. Can I get a hello, somebody? Uh, I made some mistakes along the way. And uh, did anybody in here ever go through any awkward years? So I, I, had, some, I had some tough years. I had some awkward years. Um, my undoubtedly most awkward years were elementary school, okay? Uh, any ugly ducklings? Any elementary school ugly ducklings? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I, I was not only kind of awkward and, and, and weird, but I was kind of crazy, okay? So do y'all remember your first tooth that you lost? So I was terrified, terrified to lose my first tooth and so much so I let it hang on by like the last little nerve right and it was horizontal hanging out of my mouth some kids you remember that parents you're living this right now they won't pull it out and so it's like horizontal and finally like it pull it out it's like dink you know it's nothing I'm like wasn't so bad you know put it under my pillow got a dollar 
the next morning. It's like, okay, I'm into this losing teeth thing. And so I went to school the next day, and I started sitting there in class, and I start wiggling my teeth. I was like, all these suckers are loose. What's up? And so I go to the bathroom, and I get one of those brown school paper towels, and I dry my tooth, and I rip it out of my skull, like a fully attached tooth, rip it out, blood dripping everywhere, and uh, took it to the teacher. I'm grinning, you know, bloody, and she's like, oh, good, you lost a tooth. I can just clean it up, and let's get you cleaned up, and uh, that was great. Six teeth later, uh, she stopped me. Okay, I pulled out six front teeth in one day in second grade. Okay, uh, I was a little bit different as a kid, and uh, I was special, all right, unique, as my mom liked to tell me. And you know, when she picked me up from school that day, she was freaking out. She's like, did he get in a fight? What has happened to him? What is going on? And I was pumped. Six teeth in a little bag. I was like, some money, somebody, right? Uh, <laughs> I'd found a way, I found a business, all right? Uh, I was a young entrepreneur. It was just teeth, you know? They were going to grow back in. And so uh, I, I started to develop a little bit of a reputation, as you can tell. Like, people, parents are like, don't hang out with that kid. Literally, I got blackballed from kids' birthday parties. It wasn't for that. It's because they had, have you all seen those really expensive fish, like koi ponds? Y'all seen those? I'd never seen it before. I got invited to a birthday party and spent the entire party throwing rocks at the fish, all right? So I was not, I was not invited to a birthday party from fourth grade to seventh grade. That is the truth. That's not a preacher's tale. That is the truth. And so in fourth grade, so that's second grade, fourth grade, um, I, how do I say, I developed a little bit faster. What I mean by that, before you go off in your imaginations, I, I started to stink, okay? I, I developed some body odor. Well, nobody told me about body odor. And so I'm kind of in class, and I'm smelling something. And it's like, it smells like onions in here. It's, it's coming from me. And so I start going to my friends and saying, hey, you got to smell this. Like, this is terrible. And they started calling me Poisonous Pits, the whole school. Uh, that was my name. And so my reputation continued to precede me. So, so much so that, like, the littlest kid in the school, like, so he was 4'11 by senior year. The littlest kid in school, probably three foot tall at this point, comes up, grabs me by my old Navy T-shirt and busts me in the shins with his steel-toe boots, calling me poisonous pits. All right? I'm like at the low point of the totem pole in elementary school. It gets worse. So my sister, seeing my plight and my position, felt bad for me and started doing some online shopping. Now, granted, this is 1999, okay? So online shopping wasn't what it is now, but Old Navy had just started. That was our brand, if you can't tell. Old Navy uh, had just started doing online shipping, so they got me a blue polo. I can vividly remember it. A brown belt, some brown boots, right? Uh, some Timberland-style boots, and then they got me some boot-cut jeans. What's up? And uh, I got the skinny jeans going on now. Don't actually see you judging me, judgmental people up here. Uh, so I had my boot cut jeans going, and you know how back then you had to cut them up the side just a little bit so they slipped over your boots just right? Y'all remember what I'm talking about? And so I had them cut, and I show up at school, and y'all, I'm confident like level 5,000, okay? I'm strutting around the school, my new outfit. I was, I was different, all right? I was already, I went from the bottom of the totem pole. I think suddenly I got this new outfit. What's up? Like running all over the playground, playing soccer, you know, in my outfit. And I had a Nike dad hat. Y'all know dad hats are coming back in hard. Well, this is 99. Dad hats were, were at their, their precipice, the beginning. Uh, and so feeling good. Uh, after recess, we have a little bit of reading time. And uh, 
one of the kids in, in class, his name is Chris Plummer, all right, students, if you wrong someone, they will remember forever. God forgets, but, but we remember, okay? So he comes up to me, and he, he crawls towards me. I can still remember his face. He crawls towards me. He goes, hey, he goes, you think you're cool? He grabs my jeans, rips them up to the knee, gets right in my ear and goes, well, you're not. And he walked away. This is the part where you all go, oh, and you feel bad for me, right? So this is a low point, all right? Uh, and then I got to middle school, all right? So I'm still trying to sort it all out, still strangely confident, still weird. And some girl from another school, you know how middle schools all feed together? Some girl from another school thought I was cute. Hello, somebody, right? And she changed my reputation. She starts going around to people and saying, that guy's cute. And they're like, you mean poisonous pits? And she's like, I don't know, but that guy's cute, all right? So she was cool, and she could change my reputation, y'all. Here's what I'm here to tell you is that Jesus, I believe, has developed a bit of a reputation in our culture. And what I want to tell you guys is that as you walk with Jesus, the way that you view him can become the way that other people around you begin to view him. All right, God changing one person's life can change the reputation of Jesus for tons of people in our community. And y'all, I believe that just like I developed a reputation, I believe that Jesus has developed a reputation in our culture. I believe that we've gotten so used to who he is that he's just become this carpenter, common Jesus, right? He's just Jesus. It's like, man, we just, we go to church on Sunday, that's what we do, but then we live our life during the week, and this is not a new thing. You know, Jesus had a reputation in his culture, too. You know, generally, uh, labels are given, but reputations are earned. Okay, labels are given, reputations are earned. Uh, labels you just take off. A reputation is commenting on something about you. And so what we see is that in the Bible, Jesus had this reputation of the carpenter's son, right? Oh, it's, just, it's just Joseph's son. He had a reputation as a revolutionary and a troublemaker. Who knows that whenever you're bringing about change, often that the people in power don't like, they come against you and they label you, right? You get this reputation. So people in, in Jesus' culture, the, the Romans and even some of the religious leaders who didn't like that he was turning upside down who they thought was God and was trying to show them who God was, they didn't like it and so they came against him. Y'all, we can see this in the 20th century. Look at Martin Luther King. Those in power didn't like it. He was trying to bring about change that God had put in his heart to bring, and they pushed him out. Look at Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Let's go even further back. The Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. Y'all, people, the religious people in power will come against you when you start trying to move in the areas that God has for you to move in. You, you know, one of the tactics is, is that as you start to make changes, they'll call you holier than thou, right? Has anybody experienced that? Oh, you're holier than thou. Now, huh? You don't, you don't want to drink with us? It's like, no, I got an addiction. God, but God's doing something in my life. Now, on the other end, if you get evangelical and you start going after people, they'll start to say you're a hypocrite, Right? Because you're in places you shouldn't be with people you shouldn't be with. But sometimes when God's strength moves into our life, he'll call us to a different standard. And he'll call us to affect change in the circles that we walk in. Look, look at this. This is Matthew eleven eighteen and 19. It says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton 
and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You cannot please religious people. But God didn't call us to please religious people, did he? God says, I look at the heart. Man, it looks at the outside appearance. Worry about what I'm looking at. You know, growing up, Jesus had a reputation with me. Uh, it was as the passive forgiver, all right, the passive forgiver. What does that mean? Uh, so I believed that Jesus wanted to get me into heaven, but I didn't believe that he had anything to say about my life. Let me say that again. I believe that Jesus wanted to get me into heaven, but didn't have anything to really say about the way that I lived my life. Um, I, I had a buddy, we'll just say we were doing some illicit activities together with my background. You can kind of fill that in, right? Uh, and I actually still consider this BC days, before Christ days. So we're sitting there and we're doing our activities and uh, we're talking and he goes, yeah, man, I'm an atheist. You know, I just don't buy any of that stuff. And I was like, bruh, bruh. You got to be a Christian. It's like, why? It's like, you're going to go to hell, bro. You got to go to heaven. I'll pray with you right now. Like, let's do this thing, right? But you, my life didn't look like anything that he wanted. He had what I had without Jesus. So why would he make this change? Y'all, the gospel is not just the minimum requirement to get you to heaven. The gospel is the power of God to change your life today. The gospel is not the minimum requirement just to get you into heaven. Although it does that, it is the power of God to change your life today. And y'all, I don't know what you carried in with you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you're battling an addiction, a drug addiction, a sexual addiction, a people approval addiction, right? It's called social media. Did you know, just for free, uh, that you get the same chemical released in your brain when you get a like on Facebook or Instagram as when you do drugs? It's called dopamine. You get a little hit of dopamine every time you get one of those likes. Y'all, we have an addiction that is developing in our culture. I've been saying for years they're going to start teaching. Remember how we had D.A.R.E. growing up? Do they still do D.A.R.E. students? Do they do D.A.R.E.? Kind of. Not so much. They're going to start doing cell phone and social media awareness. And they've started this in some schools. I'm telling you guys, we have a problem. But I've got to stay focused. I've got to stay focused. Y'all, this guy looked at my life. And I was trying to present the gospel to him, but I hadn't even accepted the gospel for myself. Y'all, the, the title of this message today is, is More Than I Expected. More Than I Expected. When I started walking with Jesus, I got more than I expected. You know, I found that he not only wanted to save my soul, but he wanted to save my life. Not only wanted to affect my future, he wanted to affect my present and a lot of the churches that I grew up in were just concerned about where I was going, but weren't concerned about what I was living in. Because, y'all, there are people who are living in hell on earth. And Jesus came to say, hey, you don't have to live in that. Not only can I deal with your future, I can deal with your present. Karl Marx is a philosopher. He said that religion is the opium of the masses. And that's true if all we offer people is a future hope. But Jesus didn't just come to offer future hope, although he offers us that. He came to offer us hope for today. And y'all, as Christians, as the church, we must offer hope for today. We must offer the gospel, which is the power of God to bring change into our lives. Can I get an amen? Y'all, there's this duality to the nature of Jesus that we often miss. We love the lamb, right? I loved the lamb. 
but we often ignore the lion. Love the lamb, ignore the lion. The lamb represents sacrifice, but the lion represents leadership. The lamb represents sacrifice. The lion represents leadership. Some just want the lamb, which means it's no matter what we do, there's sacrifice, and that's great. And you know what? There's truth to that, but it says in Romans chapter 6 that if we just take the grace and we trample it and we're not trying to grow, that we're, we're trampling God's gift to us. Some just want the lion. They just want to conquer the world, right? Have you all experienced that? you got to do it this way. you got to go to heaven. They make it all about behavior modification. And they don't make it about heart transformation and what God's trying to do on the inside. You know, the, the, just the lion philosophy by itself brought us the Crusades. Crusades were in the dark ages, and it's some of the worst things that ever happened in history. Go, go look at it under the name of Jesus. It wasn't Jesus who was doing that. It was people who wanted power who were doing that, and they'd taken the lion side, but they totally left the lamb side apart. Now, if you just take the lamb without the lion, you get universal reconciliation, which is another massive issue. It's no matter what you do in your life, you're going to go to heaven. It's fine. All paths lead the same direction. God's grace is relentless, which is true, but he gives us grace to fall under his leadership. Does that make sense? It's not just about believing, it's about following. Jesus came, and it was, it was not just, hey, there's this new religion, but it was the summons to follow a king. The gospel is the summons to follow a king, and we get that king in Jesus. Y'all, we have to have both the lion and the lamb, or we don't have him at all. I'll say it again, we have to have both the lion and the lamb, or we don't have him at all. You know, if... If we have the lion and the lamb, I believe he'll bring us three things into our lives. The first one is this, is he'll bring us more love. You know who should corner the market on love? It's Christians. But more often than not, we're known for our judgment instead of our love. We're known for trying to force our ideals on people who don't even know who Jesus is. It says in John chapter 13 that they'll know you by your what? They'll know you by your what? Love. It says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. There's a Jewish historian, Josephus. He wrote very little about the Christian revolution. and Don't miss it. It was a revolution. That's why it's still here today. But he said that one thing that marked them was the way they loved each other and people in the community. And the church spread like wildfire. I mean, what if we loved each other like that? If we have the lion and the lamb, we will. Because true love challenges while maintaining grace. True love challenges while maintaining grace. Romans 2 verse 4 says, uh, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Y'all, his kindness calls us to change. But it's not just kindness for kindness' sake, because that wouldn't be kindness. You know it's not love if you see somebody struggling, but you don't show them the way out. It's not love. But our culture wants to say, hey, love is acceptance. But y'all, acceptance is not love. It's not just blind acceptance. It's saying, hey, I love you. I believe in you. You can beat this. I've beat this. With Jesus, we can beat this together. Come on, I love you. Walk in with people. That's what God 
has called us into, y'all. There's so much more for us, and we have a lifetime to search it out. I don't know where you're at in here, what you're struggling with, what you're going through, uh, but I, I know this, that the sooner we settle into being a Christian means that we progressively change, the sooner we're going to enjoy the ride. Because for so many of us, y'all, we live in perpetual guilt because of the mistakes that we're making. Instead of recognizing that God isn't looking at us for perfection. He had perfection in Jesus. He's looking at us for progressive change. What he's looking for is hearts that want to do better, hearts that want to improve. And that's what the Spirit brings us. It brings us a heart that desires to continue to grow, to continue to move forward. And as we have Jesus and we have his sacrificial lamb nature and his lion leadership, he'll bring us into more of that life. The second one is this, and i got to hurry because I'm getting close on my clock. I don't want Kevin getting on to me. You know what I'm saying? He brings us into more risk. He brings us into more risk. Matthew 16, 24 says this. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When Jesus said this, he hadn't yet gone to the cross. So he's saying, if you want to follow me, you got to die. Does that sound safe? <laughs> and not just die, but die the most excruciating death that the ancient world had to offer, y'all. When they hear this, they're like, say what? You want us to what? It says, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. Follow me. Come after me literally means to come behind. It's a couple of years ago, I, I was in sales. I wasn't always in ministry, and uh, I was in a sales job. And I remember I was just kind of beat down. If anybody's ever worked in sales, it's pretty can be kind of a rough environment. And I was like, God, how do I one hold on to my integrity as a salesman? You know, how do I love the people that I'm working with? And I remember one morning I woke up and I was in my study, and Jesus hit me with this in, in my spirit: If you knew I was walking in front of you, would your day look different? If you knew that I was going before you, would your day look different? I was like, yeah, of course it would look different. Like, if I walked out the door and you walked out right behind me and you were simply walking in my wake, walking in my wake, the ripples of what he's doing, would the way that you interact with people be different? I was like, yes. Would the way that you love people be different? Yes. Would you be willing to take more risks when I ask you to? Yes. Y'all, for me, a few years ago, I kind of let you in on my history. Um, I guess this was almost a little over a decade now, but I, I'd been sober for, for about uh, a year, and there was an event going on in my hometown, and so I went home, and uh, a family member who we thought was safe for me asked if we could hang out, and my, my mom and aunt and uncle reluctantly, and your parents said, yes, you can hang out with them, and... Um, Got in the car, I immediately knew something was off. Like the guy was just talking crazy and just takes off, like going 120 miles an hour, making me listen to this song and some other things. And he drives me way out, 45 minutes out in the middle of nowhere and uh, stops the car. And he starts in on me about how I betrayed him. I don't know what he's talking about. I, I, I don't have a clue. And he pulls out a Colt 45 and he puts it in my face. And he said, if you ever betray me again, I'll kill you. 
and he just kept on, kept on after me. He puts the, puts the gun in the glove box, and he gives me a birthday present. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened in my life. It's kind of how to feel. Uh, and he takes me and drops me off, and as he's dropping me off, he says, and if you tell anybody about what happened, I'm going to kill one of your family members. So I was about 18 at this time, and I don't know how to process that. I wouldn't know how to process that quite now. I didn't know how to process that, and so I didn't tell anybody for about a month, and finally I had to tell somebody. It was just messing with me. I told my, my aunt about it, my auntie, who I was staying with, and she was like, I'm so sorry it happened. Yeah, I can't understand this, but she just modeled what we were talking about earlier, saying, hey, I don't understand, but you're going to make it through this, and you got to work towards forgiving this person. It's like, gosh, you know. God, I don't even know where to start. And remember that night, it's like Jesus subtly reminded me what he'd forgiven me of. He says, if I could forgive you for all of this, do you think you could forgive somebody else? And just reminded of that verse, to him who's, who forgives much, much is forgiven. And so I began to work on this in my heart, and I said, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And about seven, eight months later, I uh, went back home to Augusta, and I just felt like God was saying, I want, you to, I want you to confront this person. I want you to forgive this person. And y'all, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do, but I knew God was asking me to do it. And so I got my family member to get him and pull him in. And I was out on the back porch, and he came out, and he just broke down crying when he saw me. He said, I'm so sorry. And I said, I, know, I just want you to know I love you and I forgive you. And I don't know what you're going through, but... Here's what I've experienced. This is what God's done for me. I know he can do it for you. And, y'all, we got him in rehab. And he started to turn his life around and started getting his life back together. Y'all, this is not a story about how good I am. I did not want to do this. But God called me to take a risk. And God is good. And God knew that he was going to move in his heart. He knew that this guy was going to accept what God was doing through my forgiveness. Y'all, I'm telling you guys, as you walk with Jesus, he is going to ask you to do risky things. You know, there's a book called The, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's part of the Chronicles of, Mar- of Narnia, and there's these kids in the book, and then there's this lion figure, this lion figure. And the lion represents Jesus, and his name is Aslan. And the kids got around Aslan, a lion, right? And they're like, I don't know about this guy. Everybody keeps saying he's great, but I'm not sure, saying he's the leader. He's the one that we need to look to, but he didn't look quite like I think a leader should look like. And so they go to the beavers. It's this another character. It's like a mentoring character in the book. And they say, hey, we've met Aslan. And he's a lion, right? Like he he's, seems a little wild, you know. Is he safe? And the response was, no, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. And he's the king, y'all. I'm here to tell you guys this morning that God has more for you, abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. But I promise you, it's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. It's going to look better. But it's going to require that we trust him and that we walk with him and that as we do that, he's going to pour more love out on us. He's going to call us to more risk so that we might love other people. And the third thing he's going to do is he's going to bring us into more freedom. This is my last point. He's going to bring us into more freedom, y'all. For me, and, and tune in with me here. I know I'm going a little bit long. When I started getting sober, the place for me to evangelize was not the bar, right? So I'm not saying 
that if you're in that season, God's calling you to go somewhere like that. That's not what I'm talking about because God has us in seasons of preparation and seasons of action. Some of you guys are in a preparation season where you're learning and you're growing. And at some point, he's going to call you to action, but right now it's preparation. Some of you guys are in a season of action, but you're acting like you're in a season of preparation. And your faith is getting stagnant. And you're starting to say, man, I'm not getting anything out of church. Man, they're not feeding me anymore. Maybe I need to find a new community. Can I challenge you guys this morning? Can I challenge you guys this morning? I think that God may well be calling you to action and you're in a season of preparation, you know what happens to water when it sits in a bucket? It gets moldy. But a spring, it just gets cleaner, and it just gets cleaner, and it just gets cleaner. Y'all, God says that he gives us springs, rivers of living water. We don't have to hold our bucket right here, y'all. We can pour it out. And as we do that, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but he's going to lead you into more and more and more freedom. Second Corinthians 12.9 says this, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest on me. It says, as we boast in our weakness, the power of Christ will rest on us. Not as we act like we have it all together, but as we admit that we're weak. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Y'all, there's a story uh, called Alice in Wonderland. Y'all heard of it? There's a movie with Johnny Depp that's kind of weird. But they came out with another one, which coincidentally, there's a book tied to this called Through the Looking Glass. And in this book, Through the Looking Glass, Lewis Carroll decided that he wanted to create this upside-down world. And that in this world, for you to go forward, you actually had to go backward because if you went forward, you would go backwards. And nothing worked quite the way you thought it would. Have you ever tried to trim your hair in a mirror, right? It just doesn't quite work, and you mess it up, and you got to go get it fixed. It costs you more money, right? So in this world, it's like trying to cut your hair in a mirror. It's this mirror world. And for you to move forward, you have to move backwards, Y'all, the kingdom of God is often an upside-down world. For us to have strength, we have to admit that we're weak. In the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who know that they're weak. And I'm telling you guys today, some of you are not experiencing the freedom of God because you're unwilling to admit your weakness. You're unwilling to admit that you need help. But the word says that when we're weak, we're strong. When we're weak, we're strong. And I'm telling you guys, this is a safe place to struggle. This is a safe place to struggle. This is not a uh, museum for saints. This is a hospital for the, sick, for the sick. And I'm telling you guys, this is a safe church. And so I don't know what you walked in with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what level of this God is calling you to, but I know that God is calling you, some, some of you guys, to more love. He's calling you to more risk, and he's calling you to more freedom. I want to pray for you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your word.